Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Together for Jesus this morning. Amen, everybody. Look at your neighbor and say, I feel good. Look at your other neighbor and say, I knew you would. And I'm glad you guys are here today. You guys ready for the word of the Lord this morning? All right, three of you are great. The rest of you, we'll see you next time. Hey, I know she just talked about it, but I want to remind you this is a first Wednesday week. And uh, it's our last first Wednesday for a couple of months. We don't do them in the summer because you're on vacation anyway. You wouldn't come if we had them. So uh, be here 5 o'clock for dinner if you want to. If you want to just come for the service, that starts at 630 And uh, it's going to be a fun one. Like, it won't be a normal first Wednesday. We're going to do a couple of things that are a little bit fun. We're not giving masses of things away. But uh, other than the love of the Lord, come get some of that, right? So if you brought your Bible this morning, open up to Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. It is one of the longest chapters of the New Testament, ranking in at 56 verses. So we've been in it for a while. Luke, chapter 1 is, by the way, the longest chapter of the New Testament. It has 80 verses. Aren't you glad we're not in that one? So, But uh, the reason why Mark 6 is so big is because really it's at the pinnacle. It's at the height of Jesus' ministry. And five really big things happen inside the story or inside the chapter of Mark 6. So it began with Jesus being rejected in his own hometown. His cousin John the Baptist was killed Uh, He sends out his disciples, his 12, on kind of their first missionary journey or their first mission trip. And then Jesus feeds the multitude. Pastor Matt did an incredible job unpacking that last week. Today, the story is going to feel like we've been here before. Matter of fact, when we're in this story, it's going to feel like every time you turn around when you're reading the Bible that Jesus is in a boat, there's a storm, and he's out at sea. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just because most of the Gospels tell these stories, and it does happen On multiple occasions. We talked about this about six weeks ago in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the storm happens and he says peace be still and just and they were like whoa who is this guy like only God can do that and so today it's going to be a similar story some of those same components but Jesus is not in the boat with them he's actually going to walk to them on the water and we're going to take some time to unpack all of that so Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says immediately after this, meaning right after he fed the multitude, same day, he fed 5,000, the Bible says 5,000 men. Most scholars believe there was nearly 18,000 that were people there by the time you count women and children. So immediately after that, it's been a big day of ministry. That's a huge miracle that took place. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. Jesus insisted. Lock that in your brain, okay? While he sent the people home, verse 46, after telling everyone goodbye, thanks for coming, good to see you, how's mom and them? Like after he told everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. So this is not a situation where the disciples got tired of waiting on Jesus. It's not one of those times where Jesus just disappeared and no one knew where he was at. It's not a situation they intentionally left without Jesus. Mark says... Jesus insisted they get in the boat, cross the lake, go to Bethsaida. He sent them. Somewhere in my mind, and I don't know if you're like me, maybe maybe you're more spiritual, but somewhere in our minds is this idea, if God is going to call me to something, 
If God is going to send me, if God's going to tell me to get in a boat and cross the sea, then it feels like that should kind of be blessed. Like if God told me to do it, it should go easier than the rest of stuff in life. If it's Jesus' idea, shouldn't things go well? So here we have Jesus sending his disciples across the lake, and what the story is going to reveal, he sends them right into a storm. Verse 47. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, meaning he's, he's up on a cliff or something where he, where he can see them, and he sees they're in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and waves about three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. Catch that. He intended to go past them because we're going to talk about the phrasing of that. So, Remember how the story started immediately after that. So after he'd fed the multitudes, he sent them out. Um, most believe the sun was still up when they got into the boat and headed across the lake. It, it could have been after dark, but most believe that it's, it's early evening, maybe six-ish. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But let's just pick a number. Let's say at six o'clock in the evening, he sends them in the boat. And then the time we do have says that uh, in verse 48, about three o'clock in the morning. All right, so some quick math. If they left at 6 and Jesus shows up at 3 a.m., that's roughly nine hours of struggle. Some guys said it could have been 12. Some said it could have been less. But nine hours, these guys are out in the boat and they're struggling. They're fighting the wind. They're rowing. Nine hours of being soaked. I'm just going to tell you, personally, about two hours of being completely soaked, I'm out. I'm done. But for nine hours, they've had stress. I know. Some of them are seasoned fishermen. They've been in this before. They're used to storms. They're used to being wet. But some of these guys were tax collectors. Some of these guys were not seasoned fishermen. So it was nine hours of, so this is how I'm going to die. Thank you for that, Jesus. Like, are you wanting new disciples? You just sent us out into the storm so we can die out here. Is that what it is? Listen, don't miss this. Jesus insisted. Jesus sent them into a storm. And then he just let them wrestle with it for about nine hours, maybe more. Verse 47 again. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake. Jesus was alone on the land. And he saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the winds and the waves. So Jesus is back on the land and he saw them, like he's up on a hill or something. He sees that they're in serious trouble. He could see them from where he was at. He could see them, they were in trouble, and yet he did nothing from there. So in Mark chapter 4, I mentioned that earlier, Jesus was in the boat. He, he was with them, and he calmed the seas. And he didn't just calm like a 100-foot radius of the sea. Like there wasn't just a bubble, and over there it's, you know, tornadoes and hurricanes and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, and then inside this bubble, oh my, nice weather we're having, chippy. You know what I'm saying? Like when Jesus said, peace be still, all of it, the whole sea, even the people in the nearby boats could see what had just happened. At the end of this story in verse 51, when Jesus climbs into the boat, the wind stopped and they were totally amazed. Not just a hundred foot bubble, not just like the area where they're at, the whole sea, the whole area, when Jesus got into the boat, it all just went calm. So, if Jesus was on the hill, follow me. If Jesus was on the hill, he could see they were in trouble. He could have, right there in that moment, said, peace be still and just fixed everything. 
next morning. Morning, boys. You're welcome. For what? Saved your life last night, doubting Thomas. <laughs> You're welcome, Peter. Right? But he, 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 didn't, he didn't do that. He sent them. He didn't stop them from going. Like, that's my thing. Like, God, why didn't you stop me? If you knew there was gonna be that storm, why, why didn't you say, hey, why don't tell you what, tomorrow why don't you get up and, and do this? No, he let them struggle for at least nine hours. Then he saw them and did nothing about it immediately. I don't know about you, but there's part of me that says, bruh, what's up with that? Like, you sent me, you didn't stop me, you saw me, and you didn't fix it. March of 2001. Was anyone not alive in 2001? Come on, let's see those hands. Look at all these young people up in this church. I was loading the big yellow Penske truck. We loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly Hills. That is, the old people know what that is, right? Actually, I was moving to Baton Rouge, which is completely different than Beverly Hills. Let me just tell you, right? Two different worlds. And my mom and dad were helping me pack up my apartment, and um, I, I tell people I used to be famous, right? Like, back then, I worked in TV and radio, and yes, I was on TV. Don't scoff at me. I mean, people always said I had a face made for radio, but I, I actually had a TV gig for a little bit, and it was called Bridge TV, and so I was, I, my, I was on morning radio, and my morning partner, a guy named Kurt, was about 20 years older than I was, and so he's the one that hired me, and so we had... The Bridge Breakfast Bunch. Kellogg's a great name if you're a morning radio host, right? And so we, were, we worked for a radio and TV conglomerate, and so the TV station would just broadcast our morning show for an hour. <laughs> Apparently there was nothing better to cover than that. So anyway, for an hour, like, we, the Bridge Breakfast Bunch was on TV, and I was the younger, dumber, <laughs> stupid one of the bunch, right? So I got to do all of the crazy things. For example, because I know some of you are thinking, my pastor's a TV star. Let me explain to you the kind of star that I was. If we had someone that came in, and let's just say they did skincare, okay? Um, it was Kurt, who's 20 years older than me, a man. And then there was me, the young dumb one. And so we brought this skincare lady in, and she wanted to do a facial on TV, right there on TV. Hashtag not a good day for BK. Okay? I'm not a facial kind of guy, right? I'm very he, him, and by pronouns, okay? So, just, so she does this facial on, on TV, and oh. but as a part of that, she wanted to add some moisturizer to my hair, and she didn't put like oil in it, or she didn't put conditioner in it or anything. She put mayonnaise. Mayo, yeah, come on, holla at your boy. Mayo, there was no mustard, there was no pickles, there was no cheese, just mayonnaise. And my morning partner, Kurt, is just dying laughing, and this was my face. <clears throat> Do you know how absolutely disgusting that felt with somebody putting mayo in your hair? Like, I went home, like after the show, I'm like, going home, you can fire me, don't care. Like, I went home. And I'm literally in the shower. I had to wash my hair three times. And the first time I'm like washing my hair, I'm going like gagging because this, I mean. Then, 
Like sometimes we'd have the pet people in, you know, they bring the cute little animals because we're trying to adopt animals on the bridge TV. And like Kurt always got the cute little puppies and the kittens. I got the snakes. BK no likey likey snakes. I don't like things that crawl. Okay? So when I say I was on TV, it's not as glamorous as you think, people. So March of 2001, I was still here in Tulsa, packing up the Yelopinski, moving to Baton Rouge for that kind of torture that I endured. And we're packing up my apartment, and my brother shows up that day, and my, my bedroom was empty, like all the boxes were out on the truck and stuff, and my mom and dad were there helping me, and my dad goes, hey, I need to, I need to <clears throat> tell you boys something. The doctor says I have cancer. And he said, we're, we're going to fight it. I'm going to give it everything I have. We've got several treatment options. And of course, me being Mr. Positive, I'm like, Dad, we got this. Man, the, the medicine and the technology is so improved. But more than that, we serve a big God. Like, we're going to fast and pray. And this is going to be an incredible testimony. God is going to heal you. Man, Jesus sees us. God knows that Jesus can see what we're going through. So it wasn't nine hours of stress and being soaked and being in the boat. It was 27 long, painful, heartbreaking months watching my dad deteriorate. We eventually buried him after he lost his battle with cancer. Listen, it's one thing to read about disciples having a bad night at sea. It's another thing to lose someone that you love to something as cruel as cancer. Why? Why send them? Why let them struggle? Why not say, hey, boys, there's going to be a storm. Storm's that storm. I want you to get in the boat, head to the other side. Why not stop them? Why not fix it when you saw it? You saw they were trouble. You could have right there on the hill just said, peace, be still, and the whole area would have been impacted. You could have fixed it. Why? Because sometimes the only way we learn the biggest lessons of life is to go through the hardest Number one, there was a lesson to be learned. At most, and this is being generous, at most his disciples had been with him over two years. They'd seen miracles. They'd actually done miracles. He'd sent them out on one of their little ministry trips. But there were still lessons to be learned. Verse 48 has some, some interesting wording. So at the risk of Get a little teachy on you. I want to show you some things, comparison, Old Testament, New Testament. But if you'll hang with me, I feel like it's pretty cool. I also like history. So just to clarify what I think is cool, right? So verse 48. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on water. He intended to go past them. Like, a lot of translations, because I went and looked at it, like, that's interesting. So it didn't really fit the context of the story. And a lot of translations say, he intended to pass them by. Some of them will let you think, like, he was just going to miss them. So this would read, then, Jesus sends them across the lake into a storm. They struggle. When you do the math, about nine hours, Jesus is headed out to meet them. But if you read it that way, it's like he's just going to walk right past them. Hey, guys, keep rowing. You'll get there. I'll see you on the other side. Like it says that he intended to go past them. And as I was talking to Jerry about this, she said, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. No. No, that doesn't sound like the God that we serve. That doesn't 
that didn't even fit the context of how this story plays out. He was just going to pass them and, and leave them in their struggle? That doesn't fit what happens. They didn't have to beg him. They didn't have to go, Jesus, it's us. Come here. They didn't have to do that. Just as Jesus stepped in the boat. Verse 49. When they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking it was a ghost. Now, I don't know about you. Personally, haven't seen a lot of people walk on water. I know we got movies and stuff, right? But in their day, they literally thought it was a ghost, thought it was a spirit, a being, or something coming at them. So they are freaked out. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then he climbed into the boat. When he did that, the wind stopped. Now, it's not my place to question translations. It's not. There's a lot smarter people than me that, that do all that fancy stuff. And this, verse 48, is translated in a variety of ways. So I want to go back to the Greek. And the Greek word for that pass by is perikomai. Okay, there's no test on this. You don't have to memorize spelling that. Okay. Perikomai. It means to pass. It means to pass by. It means to pass away. It means to come to. So, and I know the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So there's different languages here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I think I think Mark is trying to tell us something when Jesus was coming to pass by. I don't think by the context of that that Jesus was just gonna. Good luck, boys. I'll see you on the other side. And, and let, me, let me show you why I think that. Let me show you what I think Mark was getting to. So you don't have to turn there. I'll put these verses up on the screen. But in the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus is the story of God delivering the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Like a lot of people don't necessarily, maybe you don't know a lot about Father Abraham and his many sons and children of Israel. But like if you've even studied history, you know that there was a 400-year period where the descendants of Abraham were slaves in Egypt. And it's time. The Bible said that God had seen their suffering. He sent Moses to deliver them out. He does the 10 plagues. They walk through the Red Sea. Now they're out in the wilderness. And Moses would go up on the mountain to spend some time with God. He was getting direction, getting clarity, because he's nation building, right? They don't know how to govern themselves. They'd always been told what to eat, what to do, how to work. And so God's just pouring into Moses their instruction, the laws that they would live by. So when he's up there, and this is the trip where he's getting the Ten Commandments, okay? But while they're up there, he's gone for 40 days. The children of Israel get a little bit antsy. And they're like, well, Moses is gone, now what? And they say, hey, let's just build a, let's build a God of our own. So they build a golden calf, and they start to worship it, okay? Moses comes down, sees all of this loses his cool on him or whatever. He actually breaks the Ten Commandments that God had given to him. And so now after they deal with all that, he goes back up on the mountain. It's the second trip up on the mountain. And God says, listen, Moses, it, it's, it's time to move on. And he's like, look, God, your people are a lot. They're crazy. Like either kill them or kill me. You know what I'm saying? But somebody's got to have some relief here, right? He's like, you've told us where you're sending us you've told us where we're going but he says this you haven't told us who's going with us and that's Moses way of saying God I want to know more of you God I want to know who you are like enough of the mysterious God enough of the burning bush enough of hearing your voice and enough of 
Lord, I just want to know you. I want, to, I want you to reveal your full self to me. And in that moment, God says, listen, you can't see me face to face and live. Just here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you my glory. All right, so Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, it says, Moses responded, Lord, I want to see your glorious presence. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness, and I want you to pay attention. All my goodness will pass by or pass before you. I will call out my name Yahweh before you. I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. Verse 21, the Lord continued, look, Stand near me in this rock, and my glorious presence passes by. And I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. There's that term, pass, pass by, pass before. It's used three different times to describe, as I come near to you, as I pass by you, as I get within your proximity, you will fully experience the person who I am. You will fully experience the power and the presence of God. You will see his glory. And you'll truly discover who he is. So it's interesting. I don't believe Jesus said, hey guys, I want you to get out in this boat. I want you to row into this storm. And then I don't believe that Jesus was gonna pass them by. Hey, good luck, I'll see you on the other side. I think Jesus was going to pass by the same way that God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and put his hand over it, and he passed by, fully let him experience his power and his presence and the glory of who he was. God revealed himself to Moses. This was Jesus' way of revealing himself to his disciples. If that makes sense, somebody ought to say amen. So there were lessons to be learned. There were hearts to be changed. Again, we're not real sure on the timeline of, of how long the disciples had been with Jesus. But they'd heard him teach. They'd seen him do miracles. To me, the disciples are all in. They left their homes, left their towns they're from, left their livelihood, left their jobs to follow Jesus because they believed he was the Messiah. They just believed he was a different kind of Messiah. And Mark makes this statement in verse 52. For they, being the disciples, still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves from just the day before. Because their hearts were too hard to take it in. Their hearts were, what? Too hard. Jesus, I left my family. I left my business. I gave up my livelihood to follow you. But then Mark, and keep in mind, Mark was not there. Peter was. Peter was the source of Mark's gospel. And I think this is Peter's way of telling what was really going on. So once again, going into the Greek, the Greek word for hard is peru. It means dull. Like my sense of humor. My sense of humor is peru. It's dull, right? Hard, callous. It means it lose, it's lost the power to understand. I can relate. Okay. Jesus fed the 5,000 men, fed the multitude. They didn't understand it because their hearts were dull. Their hearts had lost their ability to understand. Mark's writing this. Peter's telling him the story. I believe this is Peter's way of confessing, man, we were still confused. We still didn't see the big picture. We still didn't fully understand. We were waiting for Jesus to be the army messiah, 
to build an army, to kick Rome out of Israel, take us back to the days of King David. Like they were waiting for Jesus to save them from Rome, and Jesus was wanting to save them from their sin. They were looking for a different kind of Messiah, and this is Peter's confession. Our hearts still couldn't see it. We still were dull. We had lost our ability to understand that he was the Messiah sent here to save us. So let me show you another connection in the Old Testament. If you're still awake, say, all right. At this point, like three people in first service said that. You know what I'm saying? So kudos to you. Whoever's working the coffee shop, I told them to double up on the espresso or whatever. So um, here we go. Verse 50. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once and he said, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He does not say his name. He says, take courage. I am here. I want to go back to the book of Exodus. But this time we're going to when they were still in slavery. They were still slaves in Egypt. Moses had not come yet. Matter of fact, I want to go to the story where God showed up to Moses and said, hey, I got a job for you. Moses is on the backside of a mountain watching his father-in-law's sheep. And all of a sudden, this bush starts to burn. And the voice of God speaks to him. He says, Moses, I want you to go set the children of Israel free from Egypt. And he's like, say what? And Moses argues with him. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3. <laughs> Listen, God, if I go to the people of Israel who are slaves in the world superpower of Egypt, by the way, if I go tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to have lots of questions. And they're going to ask, oh yeah, what's his name? What you want me to tell them? Verse 14. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. I am. Some of you seeing the connection. And you, you think, oh, I am is a very common phrase. There's the New Testament written in Greek, Old Testament in Hebrew. It's not necessarily the same word. Maybe there's lessons to be learned. Hearts need to be changed. But I think there's something here that only the great I am could do. Jesus said to them in that boat, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Probably shouldn't, and it's not me, it's not my place to question translations, but probably a better translation of that is, take courage, I am is here. Bad grammar, good theology. He's very careful in his word choice. He doesn't say, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Don't shoot, <laughs> right? But there's lessons to be learned. There's hearts to be changed. There's also faith to be affirmed. Mark chapter four, that's how we started. It was the first time Jesus was in the boat with the disciples in the storm, peace be still. And they're like, oh, who is this man? Who has the power to, to calm the winds and the waves? Because they all knew the Bible. They all knew Psalm 89 that says, God, you alone rule the oceans. You alone subdue the storm-tossed waves. It, like they were just amazed when Jesus calmed the waters because I don't know about you. You and I, we don't have that ability. I've tried it. Be out there fishing. It's raining. Peace be still. Get splattered right in the face. Big old, yeah. I ain't got that kind of power. They didn't have the kind of power. They're like, who is this man? Now Jesus is walking on the water to them brings in another Old Testament passage which is found in the book of Job chapter nine. 
Job says, but God, you alone, he alone spread out the heavens and he marches on the way. Kind of get this visual of Jesus. Coming after you, boys. Here. No, don't do it. Don't watch that. You alone march on the waves. Verse 10, he does great things too marvelous to understand. He performs countless Only God can calm the sea and calm the waves. Only God can march on the waves of sea. It's just another prophecy being fulfilled. It's one more lesson to affirm their faith. Yes, he's a Messiah, probably not the kind of Messiah you think. He's not building an army. He's not going to kick Rome out. He's a Messiah that's not here to save you from oppression. He's here to save you from sin. To affirm their faith. Not going to build an army. Not going to take on Rome. Not going to fix a political system. But I am the Christ. The only begotten Son of God. That whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus in that moment was affirming their faith. Yeah, you're believing I'm the Messiah, just a different kind of Messiah. The title of this message was, Why the Wait? I just couldn't get past. He was up on the side of this hill. He's watching out over the sea. He sees him struggling. Why the wait? Why didn't you say, peace be still and fix it? Why didn't he stop them? Why didn't he say, tomorrow, guys, after the storm's kind of passed, then we'll go? Because sometimes he sends us into a storm to show us things we will never see when we try to show them. He lets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into a fire so that a pagan king could see a fourth one standing in the fire. Peace be still. It's meaningless if everything is peaceful and still. Like, I can go outside today on a beautiful April day and go, peace be still. It worked, right? You can't calm a storm if there is no storm. So sometimes Jesus is going to send you into a storm. Sometimes he's going to let you roll into a storm. Sometimes he's going to wait a little bit. So you can see him climb into your boat change everything. Be honest, we don't we don't look for Jesus a lot on beautiful, peaceful, sunny days. It's when everything's on the line. It's when we're terrified, when we don't know how this is going to end. It's then and there that we're looking for him. It's then and there that we see him. Is Jesus in your boat? Are you walking with Jesus? And I don't, I don't know where you are spiritually today. Maybe your life is in a storm and you're looking for him. That's how you got here. Maybe your finances are a mess. Maybe your marriage is in trouble. Maybe your emotions are all over the place. Maybe your kids are crazy. I don't know. But you're looking for him. And there were lessons to be learned. There were hearts to be changed. But there was faith to be affirmed. Maybe today you need to invite Jesus just into your life. Let him step into your boat. I, 
I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle or anything. I, I just simply want to bring you to Jesus. And here, here's the gospel as simple as I can make it. That we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. And because of that sin, I didn't make the rules. God made because of that sin. Like we're separated from him. But he had a solution for that. While we were dead and stuck in that sin, he sent Jesus, his one and only begotten son. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, I'll go. It will be brutal. It will be painful. But I love them so much. I'll go. And Jesus came. And they nailed him to a cross. And they pierced his side with a spear. And he shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. And we could be restored to a relationship with our creator. The book of Romans says that whoever confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Not just a good teacher, not just a good guy, not a guy that can do miracles, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart God supernaturally raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not might, not could, you will be saved. And so I just want to simply lead you in a prayer. It's the best way I know how to confess and believe. If you're here today and you know you're not in right relationship with Jesus, let's invite him into your boat. All across this room, no moving around, every head bowed, every eye closed, be still for just a moment. And if you know today that you need Jesus in your life, I just beg you to pray this prayer with me. It'll be the best decision you've made in your eternity. You ready? Just pray this, dear Heavenly Father. Right there, just dear Heavenly Father. I come to you today because I need you. step in my boat would you come into my life would you begin to change me make me a new person I don't want that old life anymore today Jesus I surrender my whole life to you every head bowed never eyes still closed you I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't do anything to take away from this precious moment with your Savior. But if you prayed that prayer, A, to give your life to Christ, or B, just to come home today because you've walked away, just slip up your hands. Is there anybody here today you prayed that with me? Slip your hand up real high. Anybody? All right. I see it, brother. The best decision you'll make in your life. God, do you see that hand this morning? Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit calling us into relationship with you. Lord, pulling on our hearts, pulling us towards you, pulling us towards salvation. Lord, I thank you for moments like this where people can say yes. Pray, God, you just fill him with your peace. Lord, just bring good Christian people around. This is hard. God, this is hard. We need your help. We need encouragement from your people. Pray, God, help you take his next step of faith. Maybe that's to be baptized. Maybe it's to tell somebody. Lord, I love you. Love what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I love you even sometimes when you insist we go into storms. I love that you show up. The storm's a great place for me to see your glory. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Hill Spring, would you dig deep and give God the biggest praise you got this morning? Amen. Somebody's eternity needs to change. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. 
First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.